Welcome to the postgame show on the podcast as we wrap up Ohio State's 2023 season, 14-3 loss to Missouri. And we're, we're not going to start off with the flame turned up to 10. We, we might get there. Uh, I think a lot of you are there already and understandably after this performance by Ohio State. But I, I think we want to contextualize a little, a few things here so then we can focus on what needs to change for Ohio state and what lessons need to be learned by Ohio state after a 14 to three loss where Devin Brown is injured. And the result is a completely non-functional offense. So I want to start off by talking about two bowl games that I think are worth referencing here. The first is the last time Ohio state lost a major bowl game like this. That wasn't a playoff game. And that's the orange bowl after the 2013 season. When Braxton Miller partially tears his labrum on the first series of the game, Ohio State goes on and loses that game to Clemson 40-34. to They can't cover Sammy Watkins. He has more than 200 receiving yards. It feels like impossible to stop Clemson. And there, you know, Braxton toughs it out, um, winds up having a pretty decent game. Carlos Hyde runs for 100. But there are things there that I think you come out of that game saying, like, man, Ohio State feels a little short here. This is a bad way to end this season. That was, I think, a very similarly disappointing season that you have an undefeated Ohio State team, does beat Michigan, barely, but loses the Big Ten championship game, loses to Clemson, ends the year on a two-game losing streak. And what happens? They win the national title the next year. So a bad end to a season does not mean a terrible season is coming the next year. So I, does that feel, do you feel any better? Hey, they lost to Clemson and the world didn't end. I'm not trying to make you feel better. I just want to reference that. And I, I also want to reference the 2016 semifinal loss to Clemson. And we're doing this live on YouTube. If you're catching it later on a podcast, we appreciate everybody who's joining us. If you're in the YouTube comments and you want to correct me on this, go ahead. We're also going to get into some texter comments later. I think that's the last time Ohio State was truly embarrassed. 31 nothing in that game against Clemson. And I can feel this like it happened yesterday. I can I can feel myself standing in the postgame locker room and basically asking Tim Beck why he still should have a job. And he didn't for very much longer. That loss, a, a 31 nothing shutout, is the line in the sand. That's a great defense and an offense that can't do anything. It's a line in the sand for Urban Meyer, and they say, we've got to change. And the change is, here comes Kevin Wilson, here comes Ryan Day, Ohio State's going to start throwing the ball, and it was a moment. It was, we can't do this anymore. And sometimes at a program like this that wins so much, it takes getting embarrassed to draw the line. And certainly, losing to Michigan is embarrassing in its own way. And there were Times when it felt like Ohio State in moments did not compete against Michigan, but like not like this, not the way this offensive line could not hold up at all against Missouri, not the way that they were completely non-functional after one quarterback injury. Maybe this is a line in the sand because how can you have this happen and soak in this feeling and still think, well, we'll fix it. How can you not draw a line? And so I think when something like this happens to a program of this magnitude, you have to take advantage of that. It's not a silver lining. There's no silver linings. 
off a night like this. But whatever, and certainly Ryan Day has some plans, but whatever Ryan Day is thinking, things are hammered home. Now, actually, the special teams, Jesse Mirko is like the best Buckeye in the field, maybe except for Jack Sawyer tonight. But still, like, okay, it's not like special teams lost him the game, although they bonged one off the upright, right? Doink. How can you let that happen anymore? How can this offensive line be good enough when it is? I mean, I was freaking out before the season. You guys were freaking out before the season. They reached a point where it's like, oh, maybe they'll be okay. How can you you not do something? And how can you come back and think, well, you know, maybe if all these guys stay out of the Matt Jones, we run it back. How can you think that? How can you maybe not be aggressive and go out and try to address something in the portal? I'm not necessarily calling. I'm not saying Justin Fry has to go, but how can you let that sit? And how can you let the quarterback development right now sit? How can you say this is good enough when the quarterback room went the way it went this year? How can you say the quarterback coach is good enough? How can you say Ryan Day is getting the most out of his time and energy when you have this kind of result? So, of course, the Devon Brown injury throws everything off. But I hope, don't you hope, that it's a line when you get embarrassed? There are reasons for it, but that wasn't Ohio State. This is the biggest win for Missouri in like 50 or 60 years. But that wasn't Ohio State. And so when you ask yourself, why aren't we who we should be? You got to change. So that was definitive. Urban Meyer wouldn't stand for it anymore. That's how Ryan Day got here. Ryan Day got here because Urban Meyer drew a line. Ryan Day has to draw a line. So I think that's what comes out of this. So I'm referencing 2013 that a bowl loss. Okay, it's not the end of the world. Look what they did the next year. They won it all. A, pl a playoff semifinal loss, you get embarrassed, you got to change. So I think both those things could be in play, where you make changes, and then next year could be very good. But we're not starting off. We're not starting off the hottest, the hottest, the hottest, because frankly, this game is really quite a bit like the Notre Dame game, in my mind. Except the offense was non-functional. But this defense, right, the defense plays very well. All game, frankly, wears down a little bit in the second half, gives up two touchdowns in the second half, which is exactly what Ohio State did against Notre Dame. Gave up two touchdowns in the second half after Ohio State led three, nothing at the half, just like they did in this game. But the difference there is the offense is functional enough for Kyle McCord to lead a drive down at the end. Now, I don't think that would have been impossible, right, with a healthy Devin Brown, that Ohio State could have won a game like this 17-14. But we just have to remember, I mean, they're an inch away. They're an inch away from, from not being 11-0, right, if that game doesn't go exactly right on the final drive. So um, I, I do think there are things to relish about this defensive performance. And one of the things I did with our tech subscribers is I did send out a survey at, near the end of the game. I said, wait a little bit, maybe wait until the end of the game. But I asked two things about the defense, which we have to talk about at least briefly before we get hotter. Do you believe this was a championship-level Ohio State defense this season? Yes, close, but no, definitely no. 71% yes, 26% close, but no, only 3% definitely no. Championship-level this season. Do you expect Ohio State to have a championship-level defense in 2024? Yes, 76%. That's 5% higher. 20% close, but no, 4% definitely no. 
So it's basically three quarters of you thinking they had it this year. They can have it next year. Why? Because it might be the same defense. The, the 11 starters tonight, if all the NFL guys make decisions to stay, everybody on the defensive line, JT Tumolo, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, if they all stay, if Denzel Burke stays, if Jordan Hancock stays, right? You still have Davis and Igbenosin. You still have Sonny Styles. Cody Simon was starting for Tommy Eichenberg tonight. You put in C.J. Hicks for Steel Chambers. You get Lathan Ransom back healthy and put him in for Josh Proctor. It's That's your defense. You saw it tonight. I think it was championship level. I'm not so sure like that defense doesn't beat Georgia in last year's semifinal. Right, you, you stiffen up a little more. You don't give up the big plays. I think this defense has progressed. That you can take into the offseason. How can we be in a world where it's like, well, can the Ohio State offense rise to the level of its defense? I think you do have to appreciate that tonight. And I have some numbers that I think should help us do this because we can't just be hot. We can't come in hot right away all the time, although it is, frankly, my instinct. So, Ryan Day, so what I'm doing, we have tech subscribers. I'm a tech subscriber to ourselves, 614-662-4509. I'm getting these texts from Bill Landis as we come in. Ryan Day, harping on the offensive line play, said he didn't think they did a good enough job protecting, but mostly put Lincoln Kineholtz in a tough spot by not being able to run the ball. Quote, we didn't help the young kid at all. He said the defense played well enough for Ohio State to win this game. So we're going to harp on the offensive line a little bit later too. But, but I do want to talk about this defense. The defense did play well enough to win. Ohio State, by the FBI ratings, is an efficiency metric that we like to cite here, was number one defense in the country coming into tonight. There were like four other decent defenses that Missouri played this year. They played Kansas State, that was the 19th defense, Georgia, 16th, Tennessee, 34th, South Carolina, 48th. Let me give you what, what Missouri did against those teams. 430 yards, 6.7 yards per play, 30 points against Kansas State. 363 yards, 5.7 yards per play, 21 points against Georgia. 530 yards, 7.1 yards per play, 36 points against Tennessee. 418 yards, 6.4 yards per play, 34 points against South Carolina. They moved the ball on everybody. Tonight against Ohio State, 331 yards. That's the fewest of any I cited. 4.7 yards per play. That's the fewest. That's a one yard per play less than it against Georgia. 14 points. Ohio State shut down Missouri more than Georgia did. This was a real Missouri offense. I thought this Missouri trio of Brady Cook at quarterback, Cody Schrader at running back, and Luther Burden at receiver was the best trio Ohio State faced. These guys are good, and Ohio State shut them out in the first half. They made Missouri look like they were playing a third-string quarterback. We have to keep that in mind. We have to remember where we all were after the 2020 season with this Ohio State defense. After the 2021 season with this Ohio State defense. That problem feels like it has been solved for the most part. That is progress. Now we are at the point where, believe it or not, what Ohio State has to do is find a quarterback. So we have to give some flowers to these guys. I, I think they deserve it. I, we don't want to underestimate how good Missouri was offensively and what it meant for Ohio State to do this. So this is a good enough defensive performance. Ohio State... Should have won this game 17-14, 20-14, 21-14, something like that. That is not too much to ask. I don't think it's too much to ask, even with a third-string quarterback. So let's talk about the quarterback situation now, and then we're going get, to get, 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 get into some questions with Mike Yerstowski, our producer, is going to bring him in from the tech subscribers in a little bit. 
Will Howard, the Kansas State quarterback, is the name that's now floating out there for Ohio State in the portal. I was not all the way on board with the idea that this single game was a referendum on do they need a portal quarterback or not. That if Devin Brown is great, they don't need a portal quarterback. If Devin Brown is not great, they do need a portal quarterback. It feels like it did happen with USC. Miller Moss coming in. Caleb Williams doesn't play. Backup quarterback. Their other young quarterback transfers. He throws six touchdown passes. It's like, oh, USC might have his quarterback now. That might be why Will Howard's not going to end up there. Should Will Howard end up here? I don't think Ohio State is at a point now where, where because this happened with Devin Brown that it says we must have a different starting quarterback for next year. But I think this is a reminder that they must add to the room. So this was not fair to put a true freshman quarterback in this position especially behind a leaky offensive line. And we're going to get to the offensive line. Lincoln Keenholtz is playing South Dakota high school football a year ago. Now he's playing in the Cotton Bowl. Okay. It's not, it's not fair to ask him to do that. But it's what this also was not, he's not the sixth string quarterback. And I sent this text out during the game and, 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 the world has changed. The world has changed. But Lincoln Keenholz legitimately was Ohio State's third-string quarterback this year. We're only nine years removed from Ohio State winning the national championship with its third-string quarterback. So how can we be in a world where Cardale Jones is good enough to lead Ohio State on a playoff run, and now the third-string quarterback doesn't look like he can run the offense at all? The world has changed. Cardale Jones in this era probably transfers by now, right? He, he would not have been there sitting in that room waiting for an opportunity. Most programs, their third-string quarterback now is a young guy. So you, I was trying to think about other schools and their situations. If Texas had gotten down to a third-string quarterback, Quinn Ewers is the starter. Malik Murphy was the guy who played when Ewers was hurt. He already transferred, so he's like McCord. Arch Manning is their number two quarterback for the playoff. But he was their third-string quarterback this year. He's a freshman like Lincoln Keenholz, but he's Arch Manning. So Texas would have put Arch Manning in. He would have been better than this. Washington, they have a real backup, Dylan Morris, who's been around a little bit. Their third stringer probably is an early enrolled high school guy who's probably their future quarterback, Austin Mack. Washington might have been in trouble if they got down to their third string quarterback. Alabama, we know what it looks like. They started Jalen Milrow at the beginning of the year. He was bad against Texas. They played their two other quarterbacks the next week against South Florida, Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner. Combined, they were 10 of 23 for 107 yards. So Alabama's second and third string quarterbacks, they weren't true freshmen, but they were bad this year. So I don't know that in this situation, if Bama would have gotten down to what Ohio State was down to, would Bama have been much better? I, I don't know. Michigan, Jack Tuttle's the backup behind J.J. McCarthy. Probably, I guess, the third string guy is this Alex Orgy guy who actually played against Ohio State. He's like their wrinkle running quarterback. He probably would have been a, a, a little bit better than this, right? But the other example that we have, it's why Florida State didn't get in the playoff. Brock Glenn, who was originally committed to Ohio State and then flipped out, they took Keen Holtz. Brock Glenn went to Florida State. Jordan Travis gets hurt. Tate Rodemaker gets hurt. He has to play as a true freshman in the ACC title game against Louisville. In that game, Brock Glenn is 8 of 21 for 55 yards. 8 of 21 for 55 yards. But... Florida State finds a way to beat Louisville 16 to 6 in a conference championship game. So Lincoln Keenholz tonight, 
he's a little better than eight of 21, I think, right? What is Lincoln Keenholz? Let's see here. He is six of 17 for 86 yards. But what Ohio State can't do is they can't find a way to win. So not having a, a third-string quarterback who's ready is not unusual, I guess, in this day and age, in a world where, you know, Jack Miller, once upon a time, right? In the olden days, Jack Miller still might be here for Ohio State. Maybe he would have been the, guy, the third guy up in a situation like this. I'm actually curious to see if Day gets asked about this in the postgame news conference. I'm still exact, not exactly sure why Tristan Jebbia wasn't part of the answer tonight, and I hope maybe we get a little bit of clarity on that at some point. But I'm not, I wouldn't let Ohio State completely off the hook here because I think you still have to look more functional than the offense looked with Keenholz when you're a place where you made your reputation on offense, where Ryan Day became the head coach because of coaching quarterbacks and because of his offensive acumen and his play calling. And to be non-functional, I think is, it's inexcusable. I think to this level, at a place like this, other places might be like that, but I think they should have been better because, again, he's the third stringer for the season. He's the backup for this game. They're one rolled ankle away from having to put him in, and they put him in. It was like, well, it's a freshman. What are you going to do? And it's like, well, you're going to play the Cotton Bowl, aren't you? Aren't you going to try to put your best foot forward? So I do think they're on the hook for that, even though there's context that would explain a chunk of it. So not off the hook. That applies to Corey Dennis. That applies to Ryan Day. Like, wh why Why was it like this? It doesn't apply to Lincoln Keenholz. It's not his fault. But why did Ohio State allow itself to be in this situation? Just because Kyle McCord transferred and Devin Brown hurt the opposite ankle that he had hurt earlier this year. So I, I do think it's worth noting that Florida State and Alabama and other schools have struggled with this as well. but. I don't know. The Ohio State standard at quarterback should be higher than that. It's a high bar. They've created a high bar for themselves. And so that wasn't good enough. And I just, I don't, I'm, I hope we get the info. I I don't, I don't know why Jebbia didn't play at all. So hopefully maybe we'll get an answer to that at some point. Um, the Will Howard discussion. What I think they have to, I, I don't think that this was bad enough that if you think to yourself, well, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, and, and Aaron Nolan will take our shot next year. To me, it's not that you don't believe that Devin Brown can be a starting quarterback, but are you sure that you're okay if something goes wrong with Devin Brown? So I think you have to bring somebody in, and I think it has to be a higher level than seventh-year guy from Oregon State who wants to come here and be a coach, which is the guy they brought in this year. So then that means, do you have to promise somebody like Will Howard the job if you're going to get him? I don't know. I mean, like, you can promise the competition, but they, I think they, they have to beef up the room, don't they? How could they? How can you let yourself get to this point with the way the transfer portal works now and with – I mean, it's a risky position, man. I mean, it was an ankle. It easily could be a concussion. It could be a million different things that knocks a quarterback out of the game. So I did ask the tech subscribers after the game, the Will Howard, you know, name is out there. Do you want Ohio State to bring him in? And that percentage sort of as the vote kept going, kept going a little bit higher. 71% yes, 29% no. So um, 
Ryan Day, I guess, is saying he doesn't have a real strong answer on what they're going to do in assessing the quarterbacks going forward because they didn't really get any information about Devin Brown tonight. It's probable you can't risk it. You've got to bring in somebody. And so if you don't get a starting level quarterback, you've got to bring in, but you've, you've got to bring in like a higher level than they back, you know, when they had Chris Chuganoff and those kind of guys, you've got to bring in somebody at, at this point, because you can't live in this world. So um, let's talk about the offensive line a little bit. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Does anybody know what happened? We know that they made a change and they moved Matt Jones to center from right guard and they did not play Carson Hensman in this game and they played Enoch Vamahe at right guard. Um, but I, I thought, you know, part of me is like, well, if you're going to do that now, why didn't you do it for the Michigan game? Like you would have had an opportunity to try to build up to this. We certainly, this was a discussion point like the week leading up to the mission game that, Hey, Matt Jones has taken some snaps of practice at center. What does that mean? Is, is a change coming so that you decide to do it now? I mean, Hinsman, I think we all saw did certainly seem to struggle at times this year. He, he probably was the, the weakest link on that offensive line. So they tried to address that link, but to me, um, a lot of this goes back to the discussion that was had with the offensive line in the middle of the season when they were talking about Justin Fry is trying to get them to play more violently and more aggressively and go after people. And you see in a game like this, when you absolutely need your offensive line to rise up and save the team and save your rookie quarterback. And what we see is Ryan Day ripping into the offensive line, Cade Stover getting after the offensive line, and I don't did we ever see any of that attitude from this offensive line. Ohio State's defensive line got after it. They sacked Brady Cook six times, but Ohio State gave up four sacks and and I think there's a lot of stuff we can talk about you know, are the, are the tackles good enough still against great edge rushers? I think I you know, there's reason to question that the entire year but i just think doesn't it feel like there's something missing with the attitude on this offensive line and this was a perfect moment to step up and and they didn't and so i do think that reflects on the coach that does reflect on justin fry you can criticize somebody without saying they should be fired but i this this can't be acceptable but like who's going to be the dude in that room that rises up and says like, this is not how this is going to be anymore. Right. Um, would Paris Johnson do that? Would Taylor Decker do that? Like guys like that, like who's that guy and Donovan Jackson, you know, has that pedigree. I think had a rough start to the year, certainly played better at the end of the year. Matthew Jones has been around a long time, but again, this is one of those where you, you feel like maybe you're running this offensive line back again, assuming Donovan Jackson stays, you know, I, I certainly would be, much more inclined to kick Josh Fryer inside and try somebody else out at tackle. But are you like, are do you feel confident bringing a lot of that back when this was the effort that you got when you needed this offensive line the most? So I, I don't know, like, what does a reset there look like? I mean, you know, spend some portal cash, man. They didn't do it last year. We all saw these holes. They didn't do this. 
when they had the opportunity last year. They wound up getting Josh Simmons super late and turning a Mountain West right tackle into a Big Ten left tackle. Um, wouldn't this make you be aggressive and say, this cannot stand, this cannot be who we are? Because one guy can change that room. So where else would you want to invest, right? And and the other thing, so I, like, I don't have offensive line. Landis may join us later. I hope he has a chance to. He's down there in Texas with Berm and Austin. I don't have specific answers here, but maybe Luke Montgomery is that guy. Can Luke Montgomery, as a second year guy next year, be like, okay, this we're not. This is not how this is going to be. And can Josh Padilla be that kind of guy, or can Tegra Shabola, who got some action as a little extra tight end in this game, can he come in and say, this is not how it's going to be? Because there's a lot of stuff that happens with the toughness discussion around Ohio State that drives me crazy, and I think drives a lot of you guys crazy. And because it's not about the plays that you call, and it's not about do you have to run the ball, but it is about how you handle your business. And you can be aggressive as a pass blocker, but you can have an aggressive attitude. You can rise up when the moment gets the toughest. And this would have been an opportunity for that. It didn't happen. So I think you need an infusion in that room. It's probably of talent. And then the talent, you know, attitude often follows talent. You get the five-star guy, you get a, a future first-round draft pick in the offensive line room, and then all of a sudden everybody's attitude will be great. But I, I just, th this is not it, right? This, so you want to have a physical discussion? Have it about this. Where was the offensive line in a moment of need? So I do think that's um, that's that's really disappointing that this happened because it didn't. And if that's how it was going to go, I don't know that you were going to get a great read on Devin Brown either, running for your life. So I mean, it's funny actually. It's like if you, I think maybe you got to look at what Ohio State would like Devin Brown to be on the other side in this game because. Brady Cook wasn't great to start. He only winds up 11 of 18 for 128 yards, but he's kind of fighting the whole time. He runs 19 times for 66 yards, you know, kind of fought until it came around a little bit. Like, I don't know. If you want to go in the portal, go get the Missouri guy. Can you do that? Can you walk across the field? Hey, great game. Great game. Call me tomorrow. You want to come to Columbus? Hey, you have any linemen, any Missouri linemen want to come with you to Columbus? Mike. Mike Yerstowski, our great producer, is here gathering information from our loyal tech subscribers. Mike, are, how, are, how are the folks handling everything? Everybody good celebrating an 11-2 and two Ohio State season? Yeah, yeah, very, uh, very happy, very joyous yeah. uh, as we just passed midnight on the East Coast. So, yeah, everyone is, is very happy. Uh, yeah, you said it, Doug. Going through all this information, it, it, it's a lot. I mean, there, there is a lot. There's a lot of, a lot of points to hit on uh, that – you know, the fans and the tech subscribers and the comments, you know, on YouTube are are making great points. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes around the quarterback. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that there's no way around it. You know, you, you can't go into next year with this quarterback room. And, no, it's, you know, not fair to Devin Brown that he got hurt in the first quarter. But, you know, there were questions all year, all year with, you know, Devin Brown and why he could never beat out Kyle McCord. So, I mean, I think that is the part, and I think there's a lot of people here that are that are wondering too, like what what was the situation with with Carson Hinsman tonight? Like yeah. he didn't play, he didn't play a single snap, and a lot of people, you know, are asking the question: Was he suspended? Was he in you know in the doghouse? Was he just replaced, you know, for poor performance? You know, so a, a lot of questions that you know just you can't answer right now. But 
almost seems like you need to answer as soon as possible. So Bill Landis bringing it on the tech subscription. I told Landis, just send it to me. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to send it to everybody. Here's what he just texted. He said, I asked Day two questions. One, why did they make this switch up front with Matt Jones? Day said he didn't want to get into that too much, but they felt like that gave them the best chance to win. Said Carson Hinsman had some rough practices. So that does not, that's nothing about like a, he wasn't available or anything. That's just a move. They thought this was their best offensive line for tonight. And again, like I just by performance, I, I don't know that you can dispute that, you know, like I don't, I, I don't think that was a crazy switch. I almost wonder why they didn't do it earlier, but again, the offensive line didn't play well. Then Landis did ask if, if Tristan Gebbia was available. The answer was yes. So why play Lincoln Keenholt? Day said he was ahead on the quarterback depth chart and was also better for the quarterback run stuff they had in the game plan. So I understand, like, you know, Tristan's a seventh-year guy. It's getting him a look's not, I mean, it's not going to help you for next year, but this did not help you for next year. This did not help Lincoln Keenholt. I mean, remember when we all we were screaming when Kyle McCord was CJ Stroud's backup? Why don't you get him some game reps and let him go? This was not. This was not quality. This is, I, we're not going to be, I don't think, talking about Lincoln Keenholz in three years being like, you know, oh, that Cotton Bowl experience really set me on my path. I just think it got, he's used to be the starting quarterback at Oregon State. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how there's not more functionality with that. And that 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 wasn't in your mind at all. Like, why is he here? Why is he here if he's not that? I know he wants to be a coach, but like, why? how is he helping your team if he's not available just to settle things down? Because I think it, I think a guy who can just like run the offense, who's played major college football before, you flip a couple screens, then you get the Missouri defense to back off so they're not tackling trivia on Henderson as he gets the, the handoff. I, I think there would have been more functionality there. I find that. I find that very strange. And again, even if you go to Keenholz first, like once it's not working, it's like it's not good for the kid and it's not good for the offense. So I understand the offensive line answer more than I understand the quarterback answer there, Mike. Like, would you, would you, are we, are Mike, are you okay with just playing Keenholz and letting it ride or would you have given the seventh year guy a shot? I mean, I, I was. I was fine with Keenholz getting in there because he's one of the guy that, you know, for the past month we have heard that, you know, could be in line to play next year. I, th I think the most surprising thing is you had a month to prepare for this and it was like you had two days, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it seemed like he, he went in there and, you know, even at halftime, you know, walking up the field, you know, Ryan day said, you know, to the broadcast, like, you know, we got to figure out a way to get him involved and get him playing, you know, better football, which is something yeah. to me that I, that was alarming to me. Like, what did you guys do for the past month? You know, you yeah. knew Kyle McCord was gone. He wasn't on, he wasn't around. It was Devin Brown and Lincoln Keenholz. And, you know, for the past month, you know, everyone was saying, these are the two guys they're going to go in the next year with. So I was fine with Keenholz going in there, but it, it looked like, you know, He'd never seen, you know, anything on on yeah. film or practice or, or anything to that capability. And that that part to me is the alarming part. And I think that's where a lot of, of texters and, and comments are coming in about, you know, Ryan Day. And 
you know, what what role does he play in this? You know, he is the offensive coordinator. He's the guy that comes up with the offensive game plan. No, he's not the quarterback's coach, but he has the hands yeah. on the quarterback position, you know, throughout practice and in recruiting and everything. So, you know, this this is not a good look for him when you have a lot of people that, you know, for example, you just had a texter text in Todd. He said, is it possible that we all assume that Ryan Day was a capable head coach despite never being one? So I hate to say it, but I think we might need a proven head coach at this point. And I don't say and I don't think that's very far off and it's not an unrealistic a comment to make. So I always think about it. That like Ryan Day coaches the starting quarterback and then Corey Dennis coaches the backup quarterback. So that's why I sort of like again, CJ Stroud was always like, hey, I wake up in the morning and I eat a piece of toast and I call Ryan Day. Like that's like that's how that works. Um, and so. Like I, I, I sort of think to me it's reasonable like that Ryan Day is on the hook for like the preparation of the starting quarterback. But again, he has so many things going on. That's Corey Dennis's room. And I think like, okay, like the development. And again, it's a South Dakota kid. It's not like it's coming from IMG Academy or something. Um, I, I thought they got into survival mode. And the specifics of this, I thought they got into survival mode of like, okay, ideally this would be this, but like this is falling apart. It's non-functional play the guy who's played before. And so that's what I, I would have reached that point just to give those guys. This is the thing that's very difficult about this. And I've seen a lot of people in the YouTube comments saying things like this. Everybody played other than Marv. JT Tuimoloa played. Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams played. Denzel Burke played. Emeka Abuka played. Trayvon Henderson played. And you didn't give him a chance. That's a lot of NFL money on the line. And you didn't give them a chance to win. Because once your starting quarterback got hurt, you couldn't function. So I think you owed those guys more than that. And so that to me is, hey, like, scramble, any, figure it out. Tristan's been in games run a limited offense, but we've got to get them from having, you can't have 10 guys in the box. We've got, so, so I thought that was disappointing, but I think the bigger picture thing, Mike, that you're bringing up and the texters and the commenters are bringing up is this feels like another game. And I thought the Michigan game was that too, where you can almost feel the weight of Ryan day's plate. I once upon a time was a bus boy. So I could carry like a pretty heavy tray, but there reaches some point where it's like you stack one more plate on there and you're going to drop it because everybody has a limit and it feels like that's where Ryan day is. And so again, the decision-making of um, at the end of the first half against Michigan, that to me felt like a guy who's trying to decide what to do with the clock and the timeouts and call the play. And then in a moment like this, it feels like he's trying to coach the team and figure out what should we do at quarterback and that it's too much. And so when people say, are we sure Ryan Day is a good head coach because he had never been a head coach of anything before he was the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. My answer is I'm not sure we know because he's still not fully a head coach because he's a head coach and a play caller and a quarterback's coach, and it's too much. I want to see what Ryan Day head coach looks like. But I want to see 100%. 
I want to see culture and decision-making and boldness and problem-solving where you don't have to have the play sheet right here trying to figure out what am I doing next on third and seven. So I was here last year. Give up the play calling. Focus on the culture. I think he wanted to. I think it wasn't ready with Brian Hartline. I think, again, we started off by saying, draw lines. You get embarrassed, it's a line in the sand. This might be that line. It's too much. Because who else is going to problem solve there? Now, the other thing might be that for Ryan Day to be comfortable doing that, he might have to bring in other people around him. He might have to bring in a quarterback's coach that he can feel like very confident in and really rely on and be okay with stepping away, right? There might have to be other adjustments. But, you know, I, I thought he made the right decision when he talked about it after last season of giving up play calling. And then when he didn't fully turn it over, like you could feel how difficult it was. And if he just felt like it wasn't the right thing for the team with a new starting quarterback, I, like I, I kind of got it, but I think maybe there there's no choice in the matter anymore. So that could be another thing that you do here. I, I don't think, I don't think we still, we have not seen the best of Ryan day head coach. So how can he go down without ever giving his best? Now, the part of the problem is he very well in his heart might believe, no, 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 the best thing, the best chance for this team, the best way for me to be a head coach is to do all those other offensive things. I just think that's not right because I think you can feel the moments, especially in a game where it's getting away from him. And I think like the, the problem solving of Devin Brown's hurt, now what? There's like the problem solving. Let me go talk with the quarterback, whatever, but I don't have to call the plays. I don't have to be going through the play sheet and trying to figure out, well, what do we have to take out? What can we focus on? I want to I want to make sure I'm talking to our receivers and talking to our offensive line and talking to Lincoln Keen Holtz and making sure he's mentally in a good spot. I want to be doing all the head coach stuff. I, I just think the Michigan game, we saw it. I think this game, we saw it. I think that might be one of the lines. Mike, are there any more like any kind of like specific questions that people really want an answer to this or really have a strong comment about something specific about this game or this season? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think you talk about all the coaches in general, there's a lot of people that I think are, are under, are under the microscope, I guess you could say. And some other guys are Justin Fry. You know, we talked about the offensive yep. line and, and Scott brings up a point. Uh, he says, you know, Justin Fry, Corey Dennis, Parker Fleming, and Mickey Marotti should all be relieved of their duties. And I think it's for obvious reasons. And I think the I think the very interesting part about that is the Mickey Marotti discussion. I think for years, you know, you've heard about the brotherhood and, and these guys and they're physical and they're tough, but you just haven't seen that the past couple of years. And it seems like all of that plays hand in hand because when you're not tough and you're not winning the trenches, you see, especially, you know, in the Big Ten and tonight it showed again, you're not going to win football games. Yeah. I, in the right circumstance, am a believer in change for change's sake. And, I mean, this is not new. I mean, people talk about it all the time, just that, like, the voices get stale, right? And that, you know, Mickey Marotti has been been there a long time. Now, the players, it's not the same as in the pros, because, like, the players change. The players are constantly changing. But I, I don't even know if it's a discussion necessarily of, like, is a guy doing a bad job? It, that it might just be time for a change. 
And so I don't know enough specifically about the strength program. Certainly we, you know, people have brought up issues, you know, last year with the Jackson Smith and Jigman, the hamstrings and Jordan Hancock, you know, not being able to get healthy and certain things like are, is Ohio state in the right place when it comes to maximizing the physical potential of their players. But I think we might be there. You know, and, and I do think, for instance, you know, there's been a little bit of Larry Johnson discussion at times. Man, the defensive line got after it tonight. What? Like Jack Sawyer was awesome. My call is blowing stuff up. Right. So it feels like this defensive staff and I think everybody, everybody wants James Laurinaitis as a full time linebackers coach. I think this would make this team that much better. But if you know, I. I think there are people who are not qualified to be in their positions, and that's Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis. I certainly would not say that about Mickey Marathi, but it might just be time for something new. So, and and again, may, maybe there's a way you can do that without bringing in new people, but that's part of the line in the sand to me is like, we can't keep doing the same things. And so that maybe is something that could, um, come out of this Mike that 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 maybe it forces you and it almost gives you an excuse right it's not easy to get rid of people especially people who are your friends but if it's like well it's just it's I mean look look what happened look at our last two games what do you want me to do like it's not good enough I don't know what to tell you I apologize but it's not good enough um maybe freeze up Brian Day to make some decisions that we I'm not going to pretend they're not difficult but for the good of the program I mean what are we talking about here? Like, this is not, this was not Ohio state. This was not Ohio state. Um, Mike, anything else specifically from textures? I do. Before we get out of here, we may have Landis join us from the cotton bowl. Um, if we can, we'll, we'll hold on a little bit for that, but I do want to talk about sort of Ohio state's history in these games, because we are, this is the end of an era for Ohio state football and really for Ohio state fans. And it's, it's a discussion point that I know I've had this discussion with uh, lots of fans over the years. So I want to make sure we take a moment to do that from a big picture perspective. But, you know, first, Mike, it's they lost 14 to three and uh, looked like they'd never played offense before. So what else do people have? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have this, the same things that we talked about. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are talking about Ryan Day and, and his job status. And a lot of people are bringing back up the Jim Harbaugh comment from a couple of years ago about being born on third base. And, you know, it's it's something that at the time you felt was ill-advised and, and you know, kind of a, a bad comment, not truthful. But, you know, the past couple of years now, especially in these big games, I mean, this these three points that Ohio State scored tonight was the fewest points scored, you know, in the Ryan Day era. He has never they've never scored, you know, fewer than that. You know, people go back to that Clemson game about, you know, 31 nothing. But that was Urban Meyer at the time. And I I think you see a lot of people that were just very. Very embarrassed, I guess, is is the right word to say. And, you know, here's another staff where Ryan Day has coached four games with Ohio State in December or later as a favorite, and he's 0-4 against the spread. And, you know, and that's not against the spread, but, you know, when you're playing meaningful football in December and January, and this is where Ohio State wants to be, and yeah. Ohio State going into those games has been the favorite, and, and they're not coming through. So there's something – something deep in the program that you maybe have to take a look at. And like you said, you know, it's, it's not easy to do to look yourself in the mirror, but you know, I, I think 
there's a lot of questions that, that have to be answered. And it, I think it maybe all starts fundamentally from the top and, and, and works its way down. So I do think there's something here that Ryan Day could learn from Jim Harbaugh, which is this is a high bottom. Like if this is Ohio State bottoming out, this is an 11 and two bottom out. That's about as good of a bottom out as you can have. But I do think, as we've said a million times, it would be correct for Ohio State to maybe treat it this way. When Michigan bottomed out in the COVID year, and it looked like Jim Harbaugh was about to lose his job, and it was going to be like, okay, he never got over the top against Ohio State, and he left with his tail between his legs. And instead, he changed his whole coaching staff. I think they made seven new assistant coach hires in that offseason, and it absolutely reinvigorated the Michigan program. And they got rid of Don Brown and they brought in Mike McDonald as the defensive coordinator. They brought in Sharon Moore as the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator. They brought in a lot of guys that just like you refreshed the program without changing the head coach. And so that was a real bottom, right? That was not Michigan in the COVID year. That was not Michigan. And then look like, look what happened. It worked as well as, I mean, beyond your wildest dreams of what it did. But Harbaugh, made the tough decisions and said this wasn't enough. So like, you know, the Jim Knowles decision, that was so obvious. Like that wasn't really a tough one. I don't know. I'm I like, has Jim, has, has Ryan day really had to make, I mean, you know, I think he, Kerry Combs is a great guy and was, was friends with Ryan day. So I'm, I don't want to dismiss that, but it was so obvious to everybody. And I did think it was decisive when he made that change in the middle of that year. But if you treat this as the bottom, it's a high bottom and you can get better from it. But if you don't, this is, I mean, this is the approach that I'm going to take, you know, covering this team going forward. If there's, if there aren't changes, if there aren't fundamental things with player additions, with the way things are coached with some coaches moving on, then I'm really going to ask like, how, how can you think, that staying the same is good enough. How can you think that another year of you calling plays is the right way to do this? What, what would tell you that that's the right thing to do another year with this quarterbacks coach, another year with this special teams coach, another year with this strength team, right? I, I don't know. Those are the questions because I mean, what a privilege it is for 11 and two to be a bottom out, but that's what this feels like. That's what every every Ohio State fan is feeling that tonight because, as we know, there are seven or eight freebies on the schedule every year. And so the games that mattered, Penn State wins a good win. You know, Wisconsin's not really Wisconsin by the time you get there. The, the Notre Dame wins a good win, but it's by an inch. And then you lose to Michigan and you lose this game. So you're you're three and two in the games that matter, really maybe two and two, and you're almost one and three, like in the games that really matter. So that is bottoming out. That really is bottoming out. So I think it needs to be approached that way. And uh, and my guess is it will be. My guess is it will be. I think last year it's almost, I mean, again, this was a huge discussion point a year ago. You guys all lived it. You guys all felt it. The Georgia loss, again, I think it's the best loss in Ohio State history wiped away some portion of the Michigan disappointment, you know, from an emotional standpoint, but also from a tactical standpoint of like, hey, we almost beat the team that's the two-time defending national champ 
or are we sure that we need to change? And so you didn't change, really. What really changed? But now, how can you think that? So a year ago, man, and I, right? Hey, they're that far away from winning the national title. They would have beaten TCU. We all agree on that. This is not that. So maybe now the necessary things get done. And maybe maybe there's some good um, that comes out of that. I did ask people how this Cotton Bowl result affected their view of the Buckeyes heading into the offseason. You feel better? Like, hey, the defense was really good. I feel better, you know, whatever. Quarterback got hurt. You feel worse, like, oh, my gosh. Or really, no change. It was a weird game. What are you going to do? 76% feel worse. 2% feel better. 22% said no change. I'm probably closer to no change than feel worse because, like, it really, I mean, like, the quarterback situation, it really just threw everything off. I think, like, the specifics of that that part of it between Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and the offensive line, like, you should have been able to, to adapt better than you did, but it's also understandable that it completely threw off your offense. So I, I probably would have voted for no change, but I get that three quarters of the people say they feel worse. Rate how you feel about the Buckeyes heading into the offseason. 10 is great. One is very worried. 4.7. So that's closer to one than it is to 10. So this is people absolutely taking this to heart and i understand that i'm not saying that's wrong um but that's real and so this is going to be a very different off season than last year because you lose to michigan and that's one thing but then this is now adding to that instead of the georgia game lessening that and so I think it's an opportunity for Ohio State. I think it's a it's a necessary if Ryan Day doesn't take this opportunity, then I will question his head coaching ability if he tries to run it back too much and doesn't accept some hard truths and doesn't make some difficult changes. I will probably I will for the first time maybe really say, hmm. Is, is this really what he's cut out to do? Because this, this is the one of the hardest things about it. And so, but I also think in a world where you're starting quarterback that you personally recruited, chose, groomed, picked, believed in, coached up, and then he leaves. And I'm not blaming Kyle McCord for that. But I think that has to shake you a little bit too. And I think you can go too far. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have any loyalty to players at all or anything like that. But something went wrong there. And I think there are there are multiple things now with Ohio State where you can say, well, we thought it was going to be this, and it wound up being that. What happened? What happened in our coaching? What happened in our emotional development, in our physical development, in our scheme? What kept us from being who we should be? So... Uh, Mike, is there anything else before I get into the big picture farewell to bowls that I do want to end with? Is there anything else that we need to discuss from the texture viewpoint? 
Scott just sent in a, in a text, which I, I think is, is a valid point. And he's wondering, do you think there's any guys on this roster that, that might consider transferring after, after tonight? You know, you see where the game went. Let's be honest. It, it was a nightmare. It was embarrassing. And do you think there's any guys in that locker room right now that are looking and saying, like, I'm not sure this is I'm not sure where this program or this team is going. And, you know, I, I think we've seen some guys that have left in the past month that I think we were surprised at. Um, so I don't know. You know what I mean? There, there's a lot to be unraveled and, you know, talked about over the next couple months. And I think the other part on top of that that people are talking about and bringing up is, you know, you're going to have a new athletic director coming in yeah. to Ohio State. And changes could be made, you know, just from, from that alone. So there, there's a lot. This, like you said, Doug, this is the most interesting off season that I think Ohio State football has had in a very long time. So, um, I and I just see Mike that you sent. Uh, you passed another one along, along to me that there's a, a texter who also is a donor to Ohio State who is saying that um, he's not going to be making any more donations until Ryan Day is fired. And so a couple of those, couple of those. Yeah. Th there are some complicated things here. So that, you know, that Gene Smith is a lame duck athletic director um, is out in June, I think. Right. So, but this is also, this is how this happens, right? I want to give Jim Harbaugh credit for basically changing his entire assistant coaching staff. A lot of times they make you do that. Like the AD says, okay, we're not firing you but you've got to make changes. Like it's not even your choice. And I could see Gene on his way out having discussions with Ryan day about that. And maybe even that it's not the athletic director making the head coach do that. But like, this is, this is Gene's guy, you know, not every athletic director in the country would have promoted Ryan day the way Gene Smith did. Gene Smith very much was, was clear that he thought he saw something in Ryan day. Ryan day is part of Gene Smith's, legacy here so for gene to maybe be in a position to say listen before you have a new boss i'm telling you for your own good for the program's good you need to change this 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 and this i think that could be a very real possibility and i don't you can't overreact to every angry donor because i do think when you get in situations like that you wind up being like Texas or Texas A&M where you can make rash decisions. You never have any stability. You're trying to reach for the next hot name. And it actually is to the detriment of the program. I think the people in charge, the president, the board of trustees, the athletic director, those people need to, to like manage those situations and make sure you're not overreacting. But angry donors is a thing. So, I think that is part of it too. So I, I do think that's why I, part of why I said, and as I even talk about this more, like how can things stay the same? There are outside forces I think that will be at play here too. Donors and Gene Smith and other people at Ohio State who are above Ryan Day saying like, you must make some changes. And that's the step you make before you think about making a head coach change. You give that head coach the chance to make other substantial changes in the program. And I do think after a game like this, they are, they are certainly farther down that road than they have been at any time in the Ryan day era. When you add three Michigan losses in a row on top of an embarrassing end to the season like this. Okay.
this has been an amazing bowl run for Ohio State. And if you're just if you're just hot and you don't want to reminisce about bowls, you you we won't I don't think we're going to get heated up anymore. We might get Landis. We're still trying to get Landis. We'll see if he has time to jump on. But I I mostly want to reminisce about bowls here because this was the last time ever that Ohio State's going to be in a situation of playing in a major bowl with heft that matters, but a national championship's not on the line. And over the, because the, the six major bowls, the six, you know, the New Year's six bowls that had, you know, the BCS bowls, those bowls that have been part of Ohio State's postseason for the last 25 years, they're all going to be playoff games from now on every single year. So there's six of those bowls. Four of them are going to be quarterfinals, and two of them are going to be semifinals every year. And then there'll be the national championship game. You will never play in the Fiesta Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Peach Bowl without a chance at a national championship on the line. And over the years, a lot of Ohio State fans have, have said, I'd rather play in a bowl, a cool bowl, and win than play in a playoff semifinal and lose. And when you think about circumstances, when you think about like the 2018 Rose Bowl, Urban Meyer's last game, right? Like going out that way with Dwayne Haskins and beating Washington that way. When you think about the Utah Rose Bowl, when you think about the 2015 Fiesta Bowl and taking care of Notre Dame as disappointing as it was for that game, for that team to not have a chance at a national title. When you think about beating Sam Darnold and USC in the Cotton Bowl after the 2017 season. when you think about the 2009 Rose Bowl with the Jake Ballard catch against Oregon from Terrell Pryor, and you think about beating Arkansas in the 2010 Sugar Bowl, and you just think about these games, those have been great outlets for Ohio State to end seasons on a high note, even when a national championship was out of reach. And that's never going to happen again. Because if, if Ohio State's going to be playing in a bowl like that, it's going to be the, the Pop-Tart Bowl. You know, it's not going to be the Fiesta Bowl. So you're either going to be in the playoff and more often than not, Ohio State's going to be in the playoff, but there's not going to be that like vacation. It's fun, but it still matters. It's cool. Um, but, you know, there's really going to be a drop off to everything that's on a playoff bowl. And no, I don't think any program has succeeded in this world as much as Ohio State has in the 10 in the playoff era, right? The 14 playoff era, 10 years of it. Ohio State has been in a New Year's Six Bowl, all 10 years. Five times they were in an actual playoff. Five times they were in a game like this, a New Year's Six Bowl that wasn't a playoff game. Prior to that, we had the BCS, right? 10 out of 16 years of the BCS, Ohio State was in a BCS Bowl that mattered. Those Fiesta Bowls, right? Some of the Rose Bowls that I mentioned. Um, They were only in one during the six years of the bowl Alliance and the bowl coalition, that's kind of weird. But then before that, right before we get all the plate, all of this kind of like bowl kind of final national championship stuff, they were in 18 times. They were in the Rose cotton fiesta, sugar or orange 13 of them were Rose bowls. So this has been a long history of playing in big time bowls that could be celebrated and appreciated on their own. Even if a national championship wasn't on the line, And I think Ohio State has reveled in that, and Ohio State fans have reveled in that as much as any fan base in the country. 
because it's been, again, I've been doing this since 2005. Like I've covered in my time here, one bowl that wasn't, that was the Gator bowl in, in the, in the crazy 2011 season. Like every other bowl I ever covered was a big time bowl. And so that's been really cool that that Ohio State's never been going to the Music City Bowl, right? And listen, there's a lot of programs. This bowl season reminds everybody of how cool bowls can be, and, and players are trying their best, and fans are celebrating it, and, and there's crazy wild endings and that kind of thing. But that's not been what Ohio State's been. For the last 26 years, man, they've been in games that matter. And so now they're really going to matter because they're going to be playoff games. And so you won't get this. You know, and it would have been for great. I mean, Ohio State wants to win every game. You guys want Ohio State to win every game. But it would have been actually appropriate because Ohio State's been great in these games. That's the thing about this, too, that's really hard. They've always shown up. And I do think, I don't think it's fair to criticize players or programs or cultures when guys opt out. But the fact that Ohio State had one opt out in this game, and it's a guy who's going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft and Marvin Harrison Jr. And all these other guys played. I do think that means something. And that Ohio State, like, they they don't roll over. They have not gone and rolled over in these games. So th that's why this is a little bit of a shock to the system because it's usually not like this. So, I mean, you think about even, like, after the, you know, they, they make the national championship game, chip game in 06 and 07, all those guys come back in 08. The season doesn't go as they want, but they make that Fiesta Bowl against Texas, right? And it comes down to Texas throwing a touchdown pass in the last minute. They went hard in that game, man. So, um, the, you know, the people who said I'd rather be in a cool bowl and, and win than be in a playoff game and lose, I always fought against because to me the whole point is to have a chance. Like you play a whole regular season, so at the end of it you have a chance to win a national title. So I'd rather lose a playoff game because at least you went into that game with a chance to win it all. But those people who have said, listen, I, I love a good bowl win, it's the end of an era. So uh, I think we should appreciate how good Ohio State has been there. But it's also, I think, is adding to how upset people are right now because this is not usually how this goes for Ohio State. So uh, it's been um, a great bowl run. I do think the 12-team playoff is going to be awesome. I, I have a strong belief in that. And, and, and I would guess if we're sitting here right now, even as upset as people are and as many things it feels like Ohio State needs to change, if we're going to make a 10 year run of the 12 team playoff, maybe before things change again, whatever, let's say next, if, if we get to 10 years of a 12 team playoff, I would set the over under on the number of times that Ohio state makes the 12 team playoff at probably eight and a half. And I might take the over. Like I, I just, I, I don't think this program has fallen off a cliff. Um, the big 10 is going to be very competitive with Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA, I think the big 10 is still going to get four or five teams into the 12 team playoff every year. And as it stands right now, it is very difficult for me to envision a world where Ohio state is not one of the four or five best teams in the big 10 every year. So the sport could change a lot before we get to that, but I think eight and a half is a pretty good, is a pretty good number. And that includes next year. I, I, I would, you know, I'm sure we'll do this on Kings of the North pretty quickly. We'll, we'll make our picks for the 12 team playoff next year. And I'm certainly assuming that I'm going to, 
put Ohio State in that group of 12. When you think about the defensive players that might be coming back here, when you think about if Travion Henderson comes back, when you think about the young receiver talent, I, I will say this, though, and, and I thought this would show up tonight, and this wasn't, again, the quarterback injury threw it off so much. This team really relied on Marvin Harrison Jr. this year. And his absence tonight, I, I, th I thought like maybe it was being underplayed by some people who were thinking that Ohio State was going to go in there and, and roll in this game. He saved Ohio State's bacon so much this year. Um, to not have him was almost to me like Ohio State in the 2006 National Championship game when Ted Ginn Jr. gets hurt on the kickoff return and not having Ted Ginn Jr., changes your whole game plan because there's what Ted Ginn Jr. does and there's what Ted Ginn Jr. does for everybody else just by being on the field. Marvin Harrison Jr. does that. And so as great as people think Carnell Tate is going to be, as great as Jeremiah Smith might be, and again, certainly there's every reason to expect that he's going to play a lot of snaps as a true freshman next year. Brandon Innes, plenty of talent in that receiver room. I don't know that we're going to get better than Marvin Harrison Jr., and he saved this offense a lot this year. You could find the games where it felt like this is not working, and then they run the right route for Marvin, and he wins, and they win. And so that is going to be an adjustment next year. Just like I think it's been an adjustment, I think it's very comparable to when Chase Young left. And it doesn't mean that the guys since then, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and JT Tumolo and Jack Sawyer aren't good, but man, when you have Chase Young blowing up games, the way the Boses blew up games, you get accustomed to something. And then when they're not saving, the next guys aren't single-handedly saving you quite as much. You have to make up for that. And so I think what this receiver room is going to be without Marvin Harrison Jr., it's a reminder that they're not going to be saved by one guy as, as often as they were this year. And, and obviously, some portion of that tonight was that, although the bigger portion was they just they didn't have a, a second quarterback uh, in this game who was ready to go. Um, Mike, any do any indication from Landis or anything? He's he's trapped uh, in Jerry World, right? We haven't heard from him, have we? No, yeah, I, I haven't heard um, from him. Okay. I do. Let me bring up a point for you, Doug. Yes, we'll sir. end this. We're wrapping this up. We'll end this on on a little bit of a lighter note, but. Your friend and my friend, Andy Jardy, he sends in a text to me and he says, I'd like for you to ask Doug, what was the sadder ending, the end of this Ohio State season or the death of the Pop-Tart last night? Oh, yeah. Well, because um, it's bull season, you know, I mean, the Pop-Tart yeah. death was was huge last night. Yeah, well, did. But like he. Yeah, I mean, I, I joked on Twitter that for this game, the Pop-Tart was going to eat the losing coach. Because like people, it's like if we're just going to consume people at the end of games now, uh, maybe it's time for the Pop-Tart to get to eat somebody. That's the thing about this. And again, it's almost as much as I said that Ohio State, it's been great that Ohio State's played in all these major bowls. There's a part of me, and I, I wonder how many fans feel this, that wonder sometimes what it would be like to play in a wacky bowl. Because like Ohio State, right, just had a miserable, New Year's Six Bowl experience. They got to play like a top 12 team from the SEC. They got to the, go to the Cotton Bowl and play in Jerry World, and it was awful. And if Ohio State, instead of going 11 and 1, had gone 8 and 4, maybe Ryan Day would be getting mayonnaise dumped on his head or be getting to eat a Pop Tart or do something crazy. 
And so like sometimes, Mike, it feels like all the joy and the silliness of bowl season, like the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl and the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl, they're great, but they're not silly. Can you imagine if the Rose Bowl let a Pop-Tart guy in a Pop-Tart outfit come in? They'd run him out of there. They'd arrest him. Yeah. Um, messing with the sanctity of the Rose Bowl. So like those games are great, but Ohio State doesn't get to enjoy crazy bowl season. Even like Dabo Sweeney got to have crazy bowl season at the Gator Bowl against Kentucky. On uh, Clemson was terrible this year, but they got to play like an overmatched Kentucky team and Clemson scored 28 points in the fourth quarter and won a wild game. So sometimes like Ohio State, you're so good, you give yourself the opportunity to have a disappointing end to your season as opposed to Clemson as a program has fallen off a cliff, but Dabo was like on his hands and knees celebrating a Gator Bowl win over Kentucky today. Yeah, you thought he won the national championship today. What would you rather have? Like to me, I'd still rather say, well, you'd rather be Ohio State, play in a big-time bowl, go 11-1, and have this opportunity on a big stage, but I bet Clemson fans are happier right now than Ohio State fans. So I, I, there are times, Mike, when when Ohio State's success winds up setting people up for disappointment because there's there's no disappoint there's very little disappointment during the season as opposed to Clemson fans are banging their head against the wall four separate Saturdays this year, but now they're you know doing a Dabo dance because they rallied to beat Kentucky, so. And that's where I think the, the standard of Ohio State comes into play. You know, yeah. you have these fans and these texters and these comments that come in and, and there's just there is a standard that that has been set and and it's you know expected to be met. And when it's not and when it's not coming to where they are expecting it, there I guess there's prices to pay and there's consequences to be had. And I think that's what really we circled this all back is is what it comes down to, the expectations that this program and this team consistently has on a year out year in to year out basis. And I think that's where a lot of these questions and concerns are coming from, where are the people in place in this program, the right people or the right setup right now for what this program is expected to do every single year. Yeah. And if, the offensive line holds up a little bit longer in the last minute against Michigan. Kyle McCord might complete that pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. And Ohio State might be the number one seed in the playoffs. So, I mean, like, again, and you and I be in Pasadena. So, like, that's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be disappointed and be feeling this right now, but it is, it is a, it is a high standard and a very thin line between reaching your goals and being incredibly disappointed. So, uh, I will say this. So, like, again, I think people know I'm not there. You can tell I'm in front of the same yellow wall with the same uh, Greedo pop figurine behind me that I always have here. Berm and Austin and um, Landis are there. They will be bringing you guys a bunch of stuff, snap judgments, other things from the Cotton Bowl. So that live on the scene kind of stuff, we're going to have plenty of in this feed, whether you're listening on a podcast, whether you're watching it on YouTube, whether you're joining us live right now. So, so stick in this feed for all of their coverage. I'm not there to ask stuff, but like the, I'm, if you think needs, if you think there are things that need to change, I'm going to be asking about the things that need to change. And Doug, I'm let, me, be, let me interrupt you real quick. Yep, uh, Bill yep. just, Bill just messaged me. He said he's headed back to the press box now. Do you want me to tell him to try to join? Do we, do yeah, we want to try yeah, to get him on? No, no, okay. I can, I can, I can make stuff up. The <laughs> yeah. 
So okay, yeah, I'll tell him. I'll tell him to to jump on. Okay, so I mean, like that is, I I I vow that to Ohio State fans to make sure that these questions get answered. And again, I think there's been some frustration from the Ohio State fan base. Uh, reasonably so, of why there haven't been coaching changes already. I understand that, like, you're not firing coaches before your bowl game. And a lot of guys, there are at least some of them, you know, they, they have times when their contracts come up for renewal. Um, usually, I think it might be like the end of January, something like that. So there are even opportunities where you, you wouldn't even technically have to fire somebody. You just don't re-up their contract. And that's just semantics. But it might make somebody feel better about something. So... I would not take the fact that there haven't been coaching changes yet as a sign that there aren't going to be coaching changes. And I, and I would have said that even if they would have won tonight, but I think the fact that they did not win and again, got embarrassed, I think leads us to believe that um, even more fully. But again, like the idea that Ohio state is not meeting its own standard is very real. And I do think as much as I staunchly believe that Ohio state will certainly be one of the four or five best teams in the big 10, what a bold statement that is. I do think the fact that Oregon's coming, Washington's coming, USC is coming. Penn state's going to have second year starter drew Aller next year. Right. I don't I don't know how much that's going to matter, but like this feels like a, a season that Penn State has been building to a little bit. I certainly think it's possible that Jim Harbaugh is not the Michigan coach next year, but I don't necessarily think that means that Michigan's going to fall off a cliff. I think they're here to stay like you can't rest on your laurels. There certainly was a time when Ohio State could sort of like, well, you know, I mean, who's going to beat Ohio State? Right. Who's going to rise up and. There are teams who are going to rise up in the Big Ten, and if Ohio State doesn't hold itself to its own standard, they could run into some troubles. I don't know that Dylan Rayola is going to revolutionize revolutionize Nebraska, but I certainly think, I mean, Nebraska is going to be better offensively than they've been in a very, very long time. I think a lot of people believe that Luke Fickle is going to get some things going at Wisconsin. So this is the Big Ten I think that everybody wants. You want a competitive Big Ten, but in a competitive Big Ten, you can't let things slide. You can't get by on your reputation. You can't just think that people are going to be scared of you or you can't believe that like, well, you know, we've got a couple good receivers and we usually have a good quarterback and that's enough because that's the other part of this too, is that this has not been an offensive conference, but Lincoln Riley and Dan Landing and Kalen DeBoer are going to make this an offensive conference. So if you have, if Ohio state has been the place to run up scores and throw the ball and sort of drag the big 10 into the modern era of college football, you don't have to drag Lincoln Riley anywhere. Now they got to get better. They have a lot to improve on too. Again, here we are, right? USC won its bowl game. Ohio State season was, I don't know, 10 times better than USC season. USC finally had to fire its defensive coordinator. They drove their Heisman quarterback into the ground. They have a million, like five-star recruits who are transferring out, but their backup quarterback threw six touchdown passes in their bowl game. Maybe Ohio State's backup quarterback would have thrown six touchdown passes in the bowl game if he hadn't gotten hurt. So, again, I think, like, you know, I try to remind people at certain times that you'd still rather be Ohio State than USC or Clemson. They just happen 
to win their bowl games. So speaking of that, know. that just Justin brings up that point too. He says, you know, and he makes a good point. Ohio State is the only team to go to a New Year's Six bowl every year since the playoffs started. So I mean, that, that is something that you know this team and this program has done every single year, and no one else can say that. And Justin is also bringing up a lot of comments that uh, he's thinking that Ohio State fans are maybe a little bit too hard on Ryan Day. You know, he he believes that Ryan Day might be the best offensive coach to coach at Ohio State in the history of the program. And I, I there so you know what I mean? You get a lot of people that are yeah. on one side of the fence and you get people that are on the other side. And I think that's why this job, this program, this team to talk about is so so demanding and is so back and forth because you got people on both sides of the fence. And you know, that's th- a great point. You know, they are the only team that has made a New Year's six bowl every single year of the past decade. And if they are that for the next 10 years, they very well could be the only team to make the 12-team playoff yeah. for the next decade. But at the same time, there's losses like this that we talked about that you lose in the Cotton Bowl like this. It, it, it irks you a little bit instead of winning the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Right. And I do think like s- the quarterback thing that happened tonight to me is a little bit more specific to like, man, I can't believe they didn't have Keen Holtz a little bit better prepared or they didn't go to the other guy. So like that more is a specific thing. I I don't as much as I do think they need to make make a change in the quarterback coach. Um, I don't think that like Ohio State's lost at the quarterback position, right? I think Aaron Nolan's going to solve a lot of problems. Maybe not next year, but I think like they're they're in very good shape with that. Um, there there are some other things with like just Ryan Day in games and the offensive line generally that I do believe are like bigger sort of program wide things that feels like this wasn't a one-off. This was like another example of it not being quite up to snuff. Right. So like we've never seen like when have you ever seen an Ohio state quarterback game like this? Like, like never as much as like Kyle McCord at times was not spectacular this season. It's not like, it's not like this is who Ohio state is now as a quarterback university. So it just was like a culmination of a a Kyle McCord season that did not meet expectations coupled with an injury and then a lack of preparation um, in terms of being able to adapt to it. But, you know, I, I do, I moments matter. But the, but the biggest way that a moment can matter to me, Mike, is that a moment is what is like shakes you out of it a little bit. Cause I do think initially sometimes um, the Michigan stuff, I mean, I think it's possible that a loss not to Michigan, it might make more sense that like, that's the thing that creates change because when Ohio state loses to Michigan, it gets so hot, so fast, right? Reasonably. So we all understand why. But that I think I think people I think everybody gets defensive. I think it almost causes like a rift sometimes between the fan base and the team. And I don't know that the first instinct when Ohio State loses to Michigan is like self-reflection as much as it probably should be. Right. I think sometimes the instinct is like, man, uh, people sure are fired up about this. Boy, is this rivalry crazy. But, like, nobody's mad. Ohio State fans aren't upset now. Again, Mike, we're getting stuff from, like, people who donate to the program. They're not mad that they lost to Missouri. Even though, Mike, did you find it odd? 
I don't know that I ever realized that the Missouri M looked that much like the Michigan M. Did it ever strike you during the course of the game that it's like, my gosh, that is just like a big yellow M? Yeah, very similar. A lot of M's that that Ohio State has has had troubles with in the past two games. No, for sure. And I, I, I think you make a good point about about the Michigan thing, and that is, you know, I I. You, this past game to Michigan, I think you and I both talked about it. You got you and Bill have said it multiple times. It was very eye-opening. It was surprising. It was confusing. That game plan, the loss, everything that went into that. But at the same time, you know, for for people that are in my generation, I'm you know approaching my thirties. Ohio State has been dominant in that rivalry my entire life. I mean, Michigan has to win next year to only have half as many wins you know, consecutively that Ohio State did prior to losing three straight. You know, it's things like that, that, that yes, in the moment you're hot and you're heated and you want changes to become immediate, but at the same time, you have to take a step back and you, and look at things from a, from a bigger picture because it the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Right. The other thing that actually I think we could learn something from tonight, and I, I bet almost everybody would agree with this. My old sports editor, when I worked at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, um, talked about this all the time. We wrote about it multiple times, but both teams tonight, Mike wore like the colored Jersey and the idea that you would see, we've always wanted this Ohio state in Scarlet and Michigan in blue in that game. And like, we've never had it. And I think USC and UCLA do that, but it looks so good tonight. I think on the broadcast, they mentioned that this was the first time that Ohio state that happened in Ohio state game since like the seventies. So I would love to take that from this game and have Ohio State and Scarlet and Michigan and Blue for next year. So maybe I don't know, maybe that's a good thing that comes out of this. Are you in favor of that, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought the Scarlet the Scarlet jerseys looked great. I was actually at that Cotton Bowl was at 2016 when they played USC and Sam Darnold. I think they they wore the Scarlet uniforms in that game too. I can't remember what jerseys USC wore, but yeah, I mean. Anything, anything to, to try to change up the mojo the past three years of how of how that game has been going. But I, I mean, I think you see a lot of people that are that are this year, this offseason is so pivotal and so intriguing because next year, yes, it's a twelve team playoff, but you lose three games and you're out, and it's a much tougher schedule now with all of those big teams like Oregon and USC and UCLA coming into the picture, while also having to deal with Penn State and Michigan as well. Yeah, I actually, I, I uh, like three lost teams will make the playoff. So, like, I actually like depending. You know, it's one of those things. We have plenty of time to talk about that. Like, yeah, what does it have to do? But like, I actually, um, Bill just joined us here. He's getting everything set up, so we'll have Bill come in here as well. Yeah, that's but good. I'm sure people will be excited for have to have a voice besides me and uh, a little bit of Mike. But um, yeah, I think I, I think the future is still bright for Ohio State in a 12-team playoff era. But Landis, we're just we're saying farewell to this uh, era where Ohio State can go play in the Cotton Bowl, and it's like you know, how come they didn't have like a Mister Cotton? Couldn't they have a Mister Cotton that got uh, I don't know, jumped around and made it made it like a cotton T-shirt or something that you could have celebrated uh, the pleasures of uh, like a nice cotton T-shirt? You wear have a cotton T-shirt? How come the Pop Tart gets all the love? Do, have you discussed cotton candy? Can we can it be cotton oh, candy? Cotton candy, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what did you make of Ryan Day's explanation for what happened? Uh, <laughs> first of all, what was the explanation, 
and what did you think of it? Yeah, the the explanation was basically um, obviously they weren't expecting to lose Devin Brown, um, and they have to put Lincoln Keenholz in the game, and he didn't feel like the offensive line really held up its end of the bargain, um, both in terms of running the ball so they could like protect Lincoln Keenholz, which I think is fair, and then also at actually protecting Lincoln Keenholz and handling a lot of the pressures that Missouri was throwing at them. So um, he did. I, I said this on Snap Judgments. It was. It felt to me like one of the few times where he like actually accepted the blame for the offense not holding up its end of the bargain rather than like deflecting to defense or special teams. Um, he did say that they did not scoring three will do that to you. Yeah, that'll that'll do it. Um, so that was the gist of it. Like they just did, they just didn't do enough to help. Uh, he called like Keenholz a kid a lot. They didn't do enough to help help the kid uh, succeed uh, as he was trying to lead Ohio State's offense. And uh, do you like the idea? We were sort of talking about it in the Slack during the game. Would you have tried the other quarterback? Would you have put in the seventh-year guy? Or did you think just stink it? I thought they reached a point of survival mode of, like, this is not working. The offensive line isn't holding up. He was playing South Dakota high school football a year ago. Let's get him out of here because he's not doing it himself any good, and he's just not going to be able to functionally run this offense. Put in a guy who at least was a power five starter once upon a time. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I see that argument. I mean, like, personally, I want to see Lincoln Keenholz play. I think the way the game was going and also the plan they had coming in probably lended itself more to playing Lincoln Keenholz. Like, I think I think if Tristan Jebbia played, I, I guess it would be interesting, like, hypothetical, because once Lincoln Keenholz went in, Missouri just, like, blitzed the crap out of him. Yes. Um, may, maybe, maybe if a more experienced quarterback was in there, Missouri would not have done that. And maybe Tristan Jebby would have had more time to operate. But assuming the game plan would have been the same and they just like tried to come after Tristan, Tristan Jebby the same way, I think he just would have been a little bit of a statue back there and, and it probably would have just went wrong in a different way for Ohio State. And I and I think I also understand, too, what Ryan Day said. Like, Because I, I asked him, I said, was Tristan Jebby available? The answer was yes. Why didn't you play him? It was what I just said. And also they came into the game with the idea that they were going to use the quarterback run game because Devin Brown was, was this game starting quarterback. And they still wanted to do that because that's what they had practiced and planned for. And Lincoln Keenholz gave them a better opportunity to kind of keep some semblance of the game plan intact uh, with his ability to run, which actually he didn't like run or go crazy or anything, but he looked pretty quick. I thought Um, and never really got loose for anything, but I think I understand that too from Ryan day and like Lincoln Keenholz is the the future, certainly much more than Tristan Jebbia is. So if you want to embrace this as an opportunity to to give him some like real experience, I, I think I can get behind that. Was it I mean, clearly they didn't win, so it probably wasn't the best avenue for them to win the game. Um, but I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I, I want to see the kid play. I don't want to see a, a seventh year guy come in and play this game. That's just my personal I, preference. I did say though, like they had a lot of guys with NFL futures decide to play in this game. That Marvin Harrison Jr. was the only opt out. You did not give those guys the best chance to win by putting in a kid one year removed from South Dakota high school football. In my opinion, I think. I, I don't. I don't. I, I guess I don't know. Really know that I put much of what happened here on quarterback play. Oh, their offensive line was terrible. So 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 let. Why don't you run through? And again, people can catch all of this on Snap Judgments. But we have an audience here mm-hmm. that is here live now. I have three questions I want to ask you about specifically. But why don't you just give us the best of what was said in the post game that like we have not had access to while we've been doing this show here? Yeah. So I'll start by like we got screwed a little bit because we all went to Ryan Day's press conference. He's sitting up there with Jack Sawyer and Lincoln Keenholz. 
and that lasts about 12 minutes or so. And then by the time we got done with that, whichever players went into the separate media room were gone. So we didn't get to talk to anybody other than really Ryan Day, Jack Sawyer, and Lincoln Keenholz, unfortunately. I think like Jesse Murko was in there and maybe Xavier Johnson had, had gone in there. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. So it's a lot of Ryan Day. Um, you know, it's a lot of, of what I said about the game plan stuff, the offensive line not holding up at its end of the bargain. Ryan Day again saying that, you know, evaluating everything is is on the table. Maybe he said that a little more emphatically that, than he had said it in the past. But like, you know, he's entertaining the idea of coaching changes, and he didn't re- get a real opportunity to evaluate Devin Brown in this game. And he said that complicates what they want to do a quarterback moving forward. I also think on some level it might make it easier to just go get a transfer now because you don't have this game in the back of your mind of like, well, Devin and, and Lincoln look really good. Maybe we should not do anything to mess that up. Like, I think it's easier now actually to go get a transfer quarterback. Um, you know, Lincoln Keenholz didn't say much. He, I think he got asked two questions. He, he said he felt like Missouri was clearly trying to speed him up and felt like he handled that. Okay. Could have made a couple of, of throws differently, but, but I, I think, and I, I think I agree with him that um, he handled it. Okay. You know, given, given the circumstances and then Jack Sawyer was, I think Jack Sawyer was asked one question and, he sort of deflected the answer to it and then like gave Lincoln Keenholz props for, you know, showing up in a spot or, or, or being available to play and doing the best he could in, in a tough spot for Ohio state. All right. So you're the offensive line expert. This is my first question. What happened? Like why? So I think putting Matt Jones at center and, and benching Carson Hinsman, whatever, like I think that's very reasonable. I actually think it maybe could have happened earlier in the year, but why did this happen? And what, does it tell you about the offensive line for next year? Yeah, I, I think it should have happened earlier. Like I, I think I thought coming out of the Notre Dame game when they had the bye week, they should have like taken a hard reset on the offensive line and moved some guys around to get what I thought were their best five on the on the field, which they never did. And then and they came into this game and then actually did make those switch that switch at center, but then still didn't put their best five on the field. Because I, I think we have enough evidence that Enoch Mamahi is not a starting caliber player at Ohio State. And I thought he had an incredibly rough game. I didn't think anybody played well. I'm not trying to pin it solely on, on Enoch Mamahi's shoulders, but why the decision was made to go with him over a Tegra Shabola or even I guess you don't want to throw Luke Montgomery out there as, as a true freshman. Um they threw Lincoln Keenholtz out there. Yeah, right. So so I mean, I would have been okay with that. I, I just, it's odd to me that this was the time that they came around to the idea that Carson Hinsman had not been playing well, because I don't think he's been playing well all year. And and Ryan Day actually kind of surprised me a little bit by saying that Carson, he said like Carson hasn't practiced well at the end of the year. Um, and there was a time, I remember we thought that they might make that change. I think it was after mm-hmm. the Michigan State game and they never did it. And, you know, I thought Carson Hinsman was going to be a liability against Michigan, and, and I don't know that he was, um, but I thought that position in general had been for much of the season. And it seems like they finally agreed with with that and, and made the switch at center. And, and I, you know, I'm with you. I'm not I'm OK, I think, with moving Matthew Jones to center. I don't think he had a particularly great game, uh, but he wasn't terrible. It was more about putting a guy at right guard who I think we know just you know, doesn't really have it. Um, and he didn't play well, but then, you know, Josh Fryer and, and Josh Simmons didn't play well either. So like there was a lot of pressure coming off the edges, a lot to handle. Um, Ohio state probably didn't do enough to protect itself in those situations, but they were also without their two best blocking running backs because one is injured and out for the season and one has transferred to Kentucky. So I don't know what, what they were supposed to do at that position either. So it was, it was kind of like a perfect storm of super aggressive, game plan for Missouri, but also probably the worst game this offensive line has played all season. 
What would I, I talked earlier in the show that, you know, in a situation where you need your offensive line to rise up and be like, we got this, we're going to, we're going to protect this young quarterback. We're going to run the ball. You instead wind up in a world where Ryan day is lighting into him, where Cade Stover is lighting into him. Yeah. There had been a lot of discussion during the course of the season about Justin Fry saying, like, we got to play more physical and more violently, whatever. That was a talking point in the middle of the season. Is something missing with this offensive line? I don't like who's the guy who's going to raise the level of this room? Who's going to instill an attitude? And often attitude follows talent. But, you know, if maybe four of the guys who played tonight are going to be back next year. Like, would should people feel good about that? What what needs to change in this room? Yeah, I don't know because I, I think if I think the guy who was like sort of the alpha of the group in terms of leading by example is Matthew Jones, who's now leaving. Um, maybe it's Donovan Jackson can assume that role, but he's got to play better. Like, I, I don't. You can want to be that guy, but I don't think you can be that guy unless you're a good, you know, accountable, reliable player all the time. And I don't think Donovan Jackson is that yet. And the tackles aren't that yet. Like there, there have been some nice, some, some nice moments from those guys. Um, maybe more good than bad with, with some of them, but, or bad than good, excuse me, than some of them. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess they could address that in the transfer portal if they want to. Like, is it a young guy? Is it like, I don't know. Was it Josh Padilla, like like seizing the center job in the offseason? and becoming that guy as a sophomore next year? Is it Luke Montgomery maybe doing the same at guard? Um, Tegra Shabola as a as a rising junior maybe maybe doing that. I don't I don't know that that comes from the guys who have played the majority of the snaps this year who who are returning. And that doesn't mean that I don't think they're good players, but I think someone needs to like elevate that group as yeah. as you're saying. Um, and. You know, I, I don't think any anything was so good up front that it shouldn't be on the table. I, I think you got to take a real hard look at what you have. And I do think they have some nice pieces. Are you putting those guys in the right positions? Like, should Josh Fire be a guard instead of a tackle? Should Carson Hinsman be a guard instead of a center? That kind of stuff. And and figure this thing out because it was it was a little patchwork and I think rushed with the way they tried to put it together this year at, at, at times it felt like it was getting a little better throughout the season and then by the end of the year it probably wasn't quite where it needed to be and then you know in this game with the month to prepare I think it, like I said it was one of the worst performances they've had to go from a world where a couple of years ago they had four tackles and they had to play two of them at guard and now they have seven guards and no centers yeah. and no tackles No centers no tackles it's all great. right so the quarterback question um will howard's the name that's out there would you bring in will howard from kansas state and and i said i don't even know that it's like you have to get a starter but like the room is not enough yeah i mean pro- probably i don't i don't i don't think will howard is like a national championship quarterback he's probably better than what Ohio State has right now unless you're going to start Aaron Nolan as a true freshman and like live with the so, so let me, like are you out on Devin like where are you on Devin Brown after this game like how how I'm not could, out. Yeah. yeah how could you be out how could you be out you didn't see anything <laughs> it's still but it's yeah. still uncertain and and then behind it I, I, like the thing that like would would worry me the most is like okay Lincoln Keenholz like was not ready for this like are you sure Lincoln Keenholz is ready to be your backup quarterback next year even if you have Devin Brown you're one injury away from okay second year Lincoln Keenholz first year Air Noland and that would make me I think even more nervous than the idea of like riding with Devin Brown as your starter for sure if you don't add somebody yeah I, I think that's fair but I, I also think of it 
from the top down too. Like I, th- I think it needs to start with the coaching of the position. Like they need, like th- this was this game was a uh, a showcase, or I guess in the end, a lack thereof, of Corey Dennis's coaching acumen. The way the quarterback room is structured is Ryan Day works a lot with QB one, and Corey Dennis works a lot with the rest of them, and the rest of them got a chance to play in this game. And I like, I don't want to say that Devin Brown wasn't good because like the sample size is super small. Um, but like Lincoln Keenholz, I get it. He's a true freshman. There's certainly a world where a true freshman looks a little more prepared than Lincoln Keenholz looked today, and and that didn't happen. Um, I thought it was a pretty strong uh, indictment on Corey Dennis's coaching chops, and that needs to be addressed in addition to putting some better talent in that room. So like I don't, it's there's no certainty, and since there's no certainty, I think that pushes you to go get a portal quarterback, even if I think Will Howard is is not the highest level of cal- caliber of quarterback Ohio State could have gotten in the transfer portal. He probably would or could um, end up being better than than what they have right now. All right, last question. I can re- very vividly remember. I'm sure you remember it too. After Ohio State got shut out by Clemson, 31 to nothing in the 2016 semifinal, back when we were all working at Cleveland.com, and you and I and Ari Wasserman stood on the field at the Fiesta Bowl and said that they need to get a new offensive coordinator. Maybe they can get Chip Kelly, mm-hmm. and. Instead, they got the guy who had been fired along with Chip Kelly and that staff in San Francisco, and they got Ryan Day. That was like a line in the sand game, right, where that was yeah. – Urban was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. Is this a line in the sand game for Ryan Day when it comes to potentially multiple changes, whether it's with assistant coaches, whether it's just with the way business is done, whether it's with decisions about maybe bringing in a couple more portal guys and not being – loyal as much to the guys you have is this a line in the sand game for ryan day i think it's like an exclamation point on a line in the sand season i i I, maybe i don't i don't put so much in the game itself but like it's it's another kind of piece of evidence i guess to suggest that the things do do need to change it was funny like we didn't we didn't talk a ton about this and on on any of our shows this week we did mention a little bit on snap judgments on thursday in the head coach's press conference eli drinkwitz was asked by i think a missouri television reporter about giving up play calling coming into this year and why he wanted to do that. And he said, I was being selfish. I wasn't putting the team in the best position to be successful. I wasn't um, putting myself in a position to empower my players to be as good as they can be. I wasn't putting myself in a position to empower my coaches to be as good as they could be. He wasn't maximizing the program because he didn't want to give up the joystick. And he did it this year. And then Missouri had the best season it's had under Eli Drinkwitz. Now, maybe that's just coincidental. But Eli Drinkwitz um, seemed to be a pretty strong proponent of it when he was sitting at the podium. And it was funny just like watching him give that very well thought out answer that was like two minutes long. And Ryan Day was just like staring at the wall. Like you could tell, like you could tell it was killing him. Yeah. Because I think deep down, Ryan Day knows he has to do that. And we're farther down that road now. I, th- I think a lot of us believe he should have done that last year. And I don't feel any differently about that coming into this year. And he certainly had some good games calling plays this year, but like he oversees quarterback quarterback wasn't good enough this year he oversees the offense the offense wasn't good enough this year i think he needs to bring in a real oc who can take that off of his plate and let him be the ceo and run the thing he needs a real special teams coordinator that doesn't have his alpha getting four penalties and catching fair punts inside the 10 yard line needs to get a real quarterbacks coach so that ryan day doesn't have to do that like this i i it's not just this game i'm not like trying to make this game a a referendum on everything necessarily like i felt this since the end of last year and i know i'm not alone in feeling it but like there's I just can't imagine what the explanation would be for like continuing with business as usual after the year that Ohio State just had. It would be inexcusable to me. 
I need to apologize because I told our viewers and listeners, Landis, that like we were kind of winding down. I did like a farewell to both. <laughs> I said, we're not going to be hot here at the end. We started off and we eased into the hot. I was like, eh, if you want to leave, we're not going to. And then Landis comes in hot. Sorry. So Sorry. Um, I don't disagree with anything you said. And I think the thing, again, you know, I thought he should have given it up last year, but then I sort of understood that he couldn't. And when he couldn't, like, I think anything that last year was a should now is a must. Yeah. And I think that applies. I think that applies to like multiple things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I do think it's going to happen. I mean, I don't, I don't, I I would be shocked if he's like, nah, run it back. You know, I just, I don't, he's not blind. So, and I think there's going to be some outside pressure that also is going to be like, yeah, people who pay his salary and donate to the school and hire him. I'm going to say it's not just your decision. So, okay. Anything else you want to add from uh, Jerry World? Are they they're destroying the field as we speak right now to get ready? For yeah, the game? they're tearing it up to get ready for the Cowboys game. They like shut the lights off on us when we were doing snap judgment, so they want us out of here quickly. Um, no, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you talked about like I I thought the defense was excellent in this game. Yeah. Um, Jack Sawyer was tremendous. It's like one of those things. It's like everyone feels, like, yeah, Jack Sawyer is coming back, and he has a game like this. You're like, I don't know if he should come back. Um, so I, I'm curious where, where that leaves him. And he was asked that, and he didn't really answer it, obviously. So um, it was just again like another kind of disappointing game for Ohio State, where the defense plays well enough for them to win, and the offense doesn't hold up its end of the bargain. Um, and and Ryan Day needs to to figure out how to avoid that moving forward. Who would have thought a couple of years ago that we'd be at a place where it's like, well, they have a they have a championship caliber defense. They just need to find a quarterback. Yeah, Can you right. imagine? No, it's bizarre. Telling like 2021 Bill Landis that. So, um, all right. Well, thanks for uh, making time to join us here, Landis. Thanks to everybody who joined us here uh, live on YouTube. Thanks to everybody listening on the podcast or watching back on YouTube. Thanks to our tech subscribers who uh, provided us, you know, with some good information in the survey and uh, always interesting conversation. Mike, is there anything else that, that we need to cover that anybody's brought up before we get out of here? No, I think we hit it all. I really do. Um, you know, I think Bill brought up great points that, you know, we talked about and, you know, the offense coordinator was, was a real thing. And I think we all just, we might need to go to bed. Bill needs to get home safe and travel home safe so he can yeah. enjoy the new year with his family and, you know, I think the entire fan base needs to regroup. You know what I mean? Take take a couple days, regroup, and uh, we'll we'll see. Like we said, we'll see where this offseason takes us. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. So we would direct people uh, to our Kings of the North YouTube channel and our Kings of the North podcast feed. Those are both separate now. We have semifinal previews of both playoff games up there, Washington, Texas in the Sugar Bowl, Alabama, Michigan in the Rose Bowl. We're also going to do live post games. After those two games on New Year's Day on the Kings of the North YouTube channel, you'll catch those podcasts as well. So if you want to join us there, we'll be talking for about half an hour right when the Rose Bowl ends and again right when the Sugar Bowl ends. And then, Landis, I'm sure you know we're going to have a ton of stuff here with you and Berm and Austin. I'm sure you and I will get back together here uh, in the coming days for a Kings of Columbus where we can dig in more into uh, what we think might and should happen with the Buckeyes for 2024. Yeah, we'll do that. And I, and I believe tomorrow um... – Berm, Austin, and I are going to probably do one more thing. I don't know if it'll be live or not, but like probably like midday tomorrow, we'll have another thing up with with us kind of dissecting things and, and where things go from here before we head out of town. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks to everybody who joined us. Thanks to Mike Yorostowski for making everything run smoothly here on this post-game show. Thanks to Bill Landis for making time out of his busy night to join us. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was the post-game show on the podcast.